in the years gone by, I've spoken to you about, and you can go online and look, about the historical evidence for the existence of the resurrection and why we believe that this is not a myth or a legend, but the resurrection is fact. Because when we declare he has risen, we know that he has risen indeed. We know that Christ has done a remarkable work in our lives and has changed our hearts and lives. But what a week. What a week this has been for those who followed Jesus. Seven days of difficulty and confusion and of highs and lows. What a week they had. Can you imagine this kind of week? It started on Sunday, day one, when Jesus came into the city on Palm Sunday and the crowds gathered and they declared, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King. It was glorious. Disciples were ecstatic. It was amazing what was taking place because this was the first day. The second day, we find Jesus on the Monday in the temple. And as he's in the temple, he's turning over tables. He's dealing with the moneylenders. He's declaring about the house of the Lord. He's turning everything upside down. And he's making a commotion. He's got a whip. And he's, he's pushing over uh, tables. And he's bringing godly authority into the temple. And everybody stands back and thinks, what on earth is going on here? Then Tuesday... We find him debating with the theologians. We find him talking through about the theological truths and about this truth and that. And debate was taking place. And as he debated the truths and the theology, there was that not only now there was a clash of thinking about theology. And this was the third day. On the fourth day, on the Wednesday, we find him in Bethany with his friends. And suddenly we have that scene where Mary Magdalene comes and she, she breaks down and she weeps and she washes his feet and there's perfume and there is a profound presence that is there on the Wednesday as they gather together in the small town of Bethany. On the Thursday, they sat around the table. And as they sat around the table, they're experiencing that closeness and that intimacy because this is the Passover. And they're celebrating the Passover together. But one amongst the twelve will betray Jesus Christ. What a week it's been. You go from triumph all the way to the Passover. And in the Passover... You go to being betrayed. From being betrayed, you go to the garden and you start to pray. And you start to weep. And you start to agonize. And you can feel the tension as as Christ prays and agonizes through this journey. And then on the Friday, he is taken from place to place until finally he is crucified. And as his body is lifted upon the cross, he is crucified. He is dying. He is experiencing that day, the the sixth day. As he died and cried out, it is finished. 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And darkness came across the earth at this day. And then on the seventh, he was laid in the tomb and there was silence and there was darkness and there was blackness. Seven days, seven days in Jerusalem, seven days of, of life, seven days of highs and lows, seven days of pain and battle, seven days of expectation that God is going to bring a great miracle, expectation that God is going to move in power, expectation. And now Jesus, on the Saturday, he's in the tomb. He's dead. But let me say something to you. We are not seven-day Christians. Because in the ancient Christianity, they talked about the eighth day. That there is now an eighth day in this world. There is an eighth day. And that is a day that has never existed ever, anywhere, in time and space. It is the eighth day. And that eighth day is the day, on that day, when Jesus Christ rose from the grave and defeated death, defeated sin, and defeated Satan. And this is the eighth day of the resurrection. The eighth day. And the early Christians used to talk about the eighth day. Of course, there's only seven days. But they said, now there are eight days. Why are there eight days? Because it's a very special day. That is a new day. It's the day of resurrection. It's the day of new hope. It's the day when God changed everything. It's a day when something so remarkable happened. In fact, early churches, and still some churches do, baptize in an octagon, a baptism um, uh, tank because of the eight sides to say that when you are baptized into Christ, you become an eighth day Christian. And an eighth day Christian is somebody that knows the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. An eighth day Christian is somebody that's experienced the resurrection of Christ. The eighth day Christian knows that something so remarkable, so dramatic happened that it changed the world. Eighth day. See, on the eighth day, it was a new day. On the eighth day, it was a glorious day. On that eighth day, if you like, let me explain. When you're an eighth day Christian, you think very differently about your life. When you're an eighth day Christian, your mind has been transformed because you know that God has done the greatest miracle under heaven and earth and raised Christ from the dead. An eighth day Christian knows that we have been, we are new beings. We've been transformed because we have experienced the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Not only seen what he has done, but also experienced his power and his change. You see, an eighth day Christian tells a different story. It used to be the story that there was no hope after death, that there was no life after death. But because we are eighth day Christians, we have a story to tell of a man that came from heaven, that lived amongst men, that was nailed to a cross, and on the third day rose again victorious. That's an eighth day Christian. We have a different story that even though we travel through darkness in life, even though we travel through 
defeat in life, even though we travel through problems in life. An eighth-day Christian knows the end of the story, and the end of the story is that Christ has risen, and because Christ has risen, we too will rise again. We too will live again. We too will experience the resurrection and the power and the glory because man was not destined to die and the end. We are destined to live eternally and Jesus Christ gives us the gift of eternal life. We're eighth-day Christians. We've traveled and we understand that there's a new dimension to this world. There's a remarkable dimension, a deep dimension, that there were seven days of creation and on the seventh day God rested. But now there's an eighth day where God redeemed the universe. That God moved and God worked. And we all know the old words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. I can tell you something. There is something new under the sun. That on the third day the Son of God rose from the grave. That's new. That is new. That he rose again, that he came in power, that he came in a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. The very nature of the Easter message is that there is a new creation. We are a new creation. And the only reason we are changed, transformed, redeemed, forgiven, that we no longer have judgment placed upon us. There is no longer the condemnation of judgment that we are a free people is because Jesus rose on Easter morning and now I have peace with God, peace with man and I have the presence of God within my life. It's so remarkable. The story of Easter. The story as we understand it. And you too may not realize this but You can experience that day of new creation in your own life. Because what was achieved on the eighth day can be achieved in your life. And as Christians, the challenge is, am I going to live in other days or am I going to live in the power of the resurrection? The challenge is, am I going to live as an eighth day Christian? We see the beautiful story. I love this story. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept and bent over to look into the tomb. Can you imagine this? Now when the word in the Bible used crying, it wasn't like she was there with a little bit of Kleenex. And she was just like... Just a little sad little cry like, like, like Europeans, you know, can cry. Um, this, is, this, is, this is the Middle East. And, and this, um, it's the early morning. The sun hasn't even come up. And she's crying. I know that she is wailing. 
Because it's the same Greek word used when they raised Lazarus from the dead. And all the family and the sisters were crying and weeping. They were like shouting and wailing and commotion. You may have seen it on the news when terrible things happen. And, and, and ladies in the Middle East start to scream out. You imagine by the tomb in the darkness there's this woman and she is wailing. It would have been a bit freaky. And you think, what's going on? What's happening? Here is this woman. She is wailing. She, what have they done? And then she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white. That would have given you a shock. Seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. You thought at that moment, she would have worked out something remarkable has happened. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? Now, this woman, Mary Magdalene, what do we know about Mary Magdalene? Well, we know she's from Magdala, which was the largest fishing community on the Sea of Galilee. We know that she was from Magdala, but she had followed Jesus in Galilee. She had followed Jesus through Jerusalem. She had followed Jesus to the foot of the cross. She had followed Jesus every step of the way. In fact, you could argue that out of those who followed him as disciples, she was the most faithful of all those She was faithful to follow Jesus everywhere. And now she was faithful to follow Jesus to the very tomb where she meets these angels. There's something remarkable about this woman's life. In as much her faithfulness to stick close to Jesus and to keep following Jesus. It's a message for all of us. That in our spiritual lives, we too will be faithful to keep following Jesus. We too will be faithful to experience his love, his grace in our lives. Faithfulness. But she's faithful. And this is the dark place. She's come from the crucifixion. And now she is crying and she is wailing. There's this sound going out into the darkness. She's stirred by this tomb. Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. This is just the best line in the Bible. She's just been crying. She is weeping. And she turns around and she does not realize that it's Jesus. Sometimes in your pain and in your battle and in your darkness, you wonder how you're going to get through and you turn around and you don't realize that Jesus is sat right next to you. That Jesus is with you in the hardest times. That Jesus loves you and cares for you. I love this fact. And she realized that Jesus, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, Why are you crying? You're waking the whole neighborhood up. Why are you crying? It's kind of a little bit, who is it you're looking for? What a question. 
Who are you looking for? In your challenge of life, in what you go through, who are you looking for? Because when you look for Jesus, he makes all the difference. Who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. The greatest mistake in identity in the whole of the world. The gardener. The gardener. Can I tell you something? She wasn't wrong though. Because Jesus Christ is the gardener. Jesus Christ is the gardener that comes to the broken wilderness of our lives. And he starts to dig up our broken lives that are unfruitful, that are not together. And he starts to sow into them. He starts to till our lives. He is the gardener that takes a broken ground of worthless wilderness and turns it into a place of blessing and fruitfulness. And when you let the gardener grab hold of your life, he will sow things into your life that will change your life forever. Of course he's the gardener. Because he was present when the heavens and the earth were made. He was present when the land was formed. He was present when the great forests came together. He was present when suddenly God spoke. And all the teeming fish and all of the land and all of the seed bearing plants came together. Oh Mary, you think he's just a gardener. But he is the greatest gardener that has ever been. And that gardener, he's done something in your life. That gardener. And I want to challenge every one of us. Are we allowing God to garden our lives? Woman, why are you crying? It is you. Are you looking for thinking he was the gardener? She said, sir, if you've carried him away... Tell me where you have put him. I will get him. What a, what a faithful woman. Even in death, the tenacity, the determination, the commitment, the willingness. She'd been delivered from seven spirits. She knows the power of Christ in her life. And Jesus said to her, Mary... You know, to change your life, Jesus only needs to say one word. To change your life, he only needs to say one word. We saw Amy being baptized. She'd been on a journey. She never recognized Jesus for all those years. As Chris called round and says, you may not know Chris. She's one of our greatest evangelists in our church. She sells Avon, you know. Not because she likes Avon, although she does, because she likes to bring people to Jesus. Ding dong, get saved. It's fantastic. (laughs) We know what's going on. God is at work. And for, for all that time, Amy spoke to Christians, met Christians, walked with them through a pain of... And life and difficulty that we had until one evening she described to me when suddenly she heard the voice of Jesus speak to her and the presence of God came rushing in in power and might and wonder. That's what Jesus does. 
speaks Mary. My whole world is changed with that statement. Suddenly, out of the spinning confusion, out of the mess of the seven-day week, out of the confusion of the pain and the darkness, he spoke one word and she knew that something had happened. The eighth day had come and Jesus had risen from the dead. Changed everything. Says... Rabboni, which means teacher, Mary, Mary, I'm coming, I'm here. You're spinning, your darkness, your pain, it's gone. Because now I am the gardener, but I'm a very different gardener and I've come to bring something to this earth and there's a wonder that is then passed. She receives the wonder first. The wonder of the resurrection, the wonder of Easter. She receives the wonder first. Then it would go to the disciples. And then it would go to the others. And then it would go, of course, to Thomas, who wasn't present when Jesus would appear later on. And we would call him Doubting Thomas. But Thomas had gone through grief and gone through pain and gone through agony. And he probably was an introvert. And he didn't know how to cope with all of this. And he wandered off on his own. And when he gets back after his walk around, that's how I solve problems. I just go for a walk. Two days later, turn up. Not really, but that's what he did. Where you been, love, for a walk? And, and he turns up. And they go, he's risen. Oh, I don't believe it until I see it. But the wonder would be passed from one to the other. The wonder would be passed because this is the day of new creation. This is the day of everything changing. This is the miracle day in history. This is the day when everything is turned around. This is the day, and I love this, that he, the creator God, is here and he stands and he brings that wonder. See, I want to remind you something. They're in a garden. I want to take you right back to the ancient scriptures of Genesis in the garden. And in the garden, the Lord would come in the cool of the evening and he would walk with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the evening. And now we're in another garden. And of course, after Adam and Eve came the great divorce came the great split, came the great moment when, when we were separated from, from God in relationship because of sinfulness. But now we're in another garden. We're not in the evening. We're in the morning. And in the morning, Jesus appears as he walks with them in the morning. He appears to them here in the garden. And now suddenly everything has changed because now again we can walk with God in the garden. We can know the reality of relationship with Jesus. 
Jesus. We can walk with him and know the glory of God in our lives because we become eighth day Christians. We become those people that have this living and glorious and magnificent relationship with God. And I want to invite you into the garden of faith. I invite you to reach out. You may have been living in seven days, which we all live in, but there's an eighth day to step in that is eternal. There's a new way to live. There's a new way to be. In the same way they walked with him in the call of the evening at the beginning of humanity, through this day at Easter, we can now walk with him There in the morning, there in the darkness, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to the Father, your Father, and my God to your God. Tell them, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with this news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said, said these things to her. He says to her, she goes to grab him. And he goes, don't cling to me. It's a very strange moment. Don't touch me. Why would she say, don't cling to me? Don't touch me. Because Jesus is saying, it's all changed now. See, you knew me like this. You knew me as a man. You knew me in this way. But now you are going to know me in a completely different way because I am the risen saviour of this earth. And I must ascend. See, I must kind of go so that I can come. You see, I have come and I'm just with you here. But I must go so I can come again, so I can be with all of the world. That what I have done today... It will change everything because everybody can have the opportunity to know me like you know me, Mary. Everybody can know the freedom, Mary, that you have known. Everybody can know the joy that you have known. Everybody can know what it is to be an eighth day Christian. They can know that their sins are forgiven. They can know that they've got peace with God. They can know that they've got peace with mankind. They can know that they've got the presence of God at work in their life. They can know in their prayer life that they can enter the Holy of Holies. They can know that they do not live under judgment and condemnation. They can know that they are loved people and that God is good and God is great because Mary, I must go now. Don't touch me. It's all changed but I must then come again and I will be with the billions of people that will follow me as my disciples in this world. And you and I are part of that this morning. You and I are eighth day Christians. And he has come and he has lived within us and he meets us and he has saved us. So beautiful. So as we finish this Easter service, let's stand together and pray.
And as we stand, maybe this morning you know, you know this morning that you have, maybe you're Christian and you know that you have not been living, you've been living somewhere else, but you haven't been living in the eighth day of the new creation of the power of resurrection. You know that you haven't been stepping into all that Christ has for you. Maybe you've come this morning and you know that actually you need to get right with God. Maybe like Amy was, you're not a Christian. You've turned up here and you've listened to me speak enthusiastically. He's an enthusiastic pastor, isn't he? You go, hmm. But you know that something is, is just working within you and you know that you, can, that you know that Jesus is there. But it's time for you to reach out. It's time for you to introduce yourself to Jesus and for Jesus to introduce himself to you. It's time for you to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And to come into the garden. Let him change the wilderness of your life into something beautiful. Let him come and introduce you to the garden of faith where you learn to walk through life and you know that whether it's the coldness of the morning or the call of the evening, now we walk with God through our lives because he has gone, he has come and he dwells within every one of us in our lives. And that happens with a prayer. With just a prayer reaching out to recommit your life, to give your life to Jesus, to get right with Jesus, to become a different kind of relationship with God. That had to happen to Mary. It had to be different now. And sometimes our opinions of God, church, what we've experienced, religion, what we think of Christianity, what our stereotypical cliches are about faith now have to be left behind and you need to meet the true risen Jesus. Let's pray. This is a prayer I prayed when I met the true risen Jesus. I simply said to him, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I am sorry for living my life without you. I give my whole life over to you. And I ask that you will forgive me. I ask that you will come into my life and change me. I want to be an eighth day Christian. I want to live on the new day, the new creation, the new dimension. I choose this morning to be a follower of Jesus. I bring you my pain and my grief. I bring you my life and my failings. 
And I choose to be a follower of Jesus this morning. Take me, Lord, I pray. Amen.